0: My voice is going to make it to the end of the ten thirty service. <laughs> Man, what an incredible incredible Savior we worship. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ the Lord is risen today. <laughs> Every one of those songs spoke of the inability of death to contain our King, the inability of death to carry out its purpose, to confine our Lord, to restrict His power, to render Him unable to live and to rise. Death is weak in the face of our God. On this day, April the 4th, 1968, a sniper's bullet struck the neck of Martin Luther King Jr. ended the life of one of the most well-known civil rights activists in our country. It was a day that sent our nation into mourning, a day that sent our nation into chaos, a day in which a significant life came to an end. Our calendars are marked by days like this. Throughout the year, we go through various days, and we have various holidays and days of remembrance in which we think back on people who were influential men and women who, for in one way or the other, shaped the identity of our nation, our world, for good, for bad. We remember them. But what we remember about them is their death. We remember a life brought to an end. We remember a a legacy left, a conclusion to their time on earth. The reason we remember that is because we understand and we recognize that death can be avoided by no one. Everyone will confront death. Everyone will encounter it. None are immune to it. None can hide from it. The mortality rate of man is one to one. A hundred percent of us will look death in the eye. That's why today is so significant. Because we we don't come today to remember a death. We don't come today to think about the power of death. We don't come today to think about the significance of death. But we come today to remember life. We come today to remember the life that conquered death. We come today to remember the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. On Friday, we very solemnly remembered the death of Christ. But today, we joyfully celebrate the resurrection of Christ. The mood has changed. We come with joy. We come with celebration. We come with laud because our risen Savior. So today, we rejoice because we know because of this day and what we celebrate on this day, when a brother or sister in Christ passes from this time, this world, we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. We celebrate today the fact that what we talked about last week, that suffering does not have the final word, but Christ has the final word because we have hope in Christ. We have been saved to living hope. Today we celebrate the, the fact that Christ humiliated death. He exposed its weakness. Today, we are reminded that we celebrate the one who laid down his life on his own accord because he and he alone had power to raise it up again. And we rejoice today knowing that God has opened our eyes to behold the mystery of the gospel, to behold his power over death, to behold his great might, we gather today because we celebrate the glorious truth that Christ arose. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we rejoice in that today. And most of us gathered here today are believers. Most of us truly do come. We truly gather to rejoice in this truth. But not everyone. Not everyone sitting here today is a believer Some of you are perhaps hesitant to turn from your sins. Perhaps you have questions, you have doubts. Perhaps you're a little skeptical. Some of you could even be antagonistic towards Christianity. Or you have friends or family members that are antagonistic towards Christianity. So I want to just throw out three questions to you this morning that, that I've asked before, that I think you need to ask, that will be answered. Here here are the questions that I would say are important to ask when we come to a day in which we really focus on the resurrection of Christ. One is was Jesus really a historical figure? Did he truly live? Is he truly someone that walked this earth? And then the second question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is what we claim true? Is it verifiable? Is it factual? And then finally, what difference does it make? What, what difference? If Jesus rose, he was a real man and he truly rose, what difference does it make? Does it really have any role, any impact in my life, in your life? What difference does it make? We're going to turn to Acts 2 this morning. I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts 2. The, the book of Acts is a history, if you're unfamiliar with Acts, it's a history of the early church, of what occurred after the death and the resurrection of Christ. We begin Acts. Acts was written by Luke, the same author of the Gospel of Luke. And we begin Acts with Christ there speaking to the apostles, and then he ascends into heaven. And then we have the scene of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the the moment in which the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, and they are speaking in the tongues of all the men there, that every language, they're, they're just speaking various languages, and all of those observing are looking around in amazement Because they hear their language being spoken by men who don't know their language. And so they're hearing their words spoken. They're hearing truth spoken by these men attesting to the power and the glory of God. And they accuse the men of being drunk. And Peter, this man who days prior was hiding was denying Christ, was uncertain, ashamed, stands up in boldness, and delivers the first sermon that we have in the book of Acts. And I want us to look at his sermon this morning. We're not going to look at all of it. We're just going to look at the portion from verse 22 to to 39 this morning. But I want us to look at his sermon, and I want us to think about six significant statements that he makes Six significant statements that he makes. And and you'll see the questions, those three questions that I presented to you, those questions will come out and be answered in these statements from Peter. Let's read this portion of his sermon this morning, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, reference this from psalm 16 why did he pull this out these words of david well peter understood that david was looking ahead to christ to the risen savior and he explains that beginning in verse 29 brothers i may say to you with confidence about the patriarch david that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day in verse 29 peter's saying listen David's dead. We know David's dead. If you want to go visit the tomb, let's go visit. Let's go. We'll get a field trip, and we'll go over, and we'll visit the tomb of David. We know that he is dead. So he explains, verse 30, Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's talking about Jesus there. Verse 31, he's saying the, about the resurrection of Christ that he, Christ, was not abandoned to Hades, that, nor did his flesh, Christ's flesh, see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. That God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This sermon from Peter is a bold proclamation. In the face of his religious kindred, in the face of his fellow Jews, who he says, you crucified Christ. It's a bold proclamation that you may have crucified Christ, but Christ is risen. He's risen. He is the resurrected Savior who lives and who frees and saves all who call upon his name. And this pattern of preaching would continue through the Book of Acts, as as the apostles and the disciples preach, and they proclaim as an essential part of the message that Christ has risen. As a matter of fact, in four um, verse thirty three, yeah, sorry, I didn't write that down. It was, My memory almost failed me there. 433 says, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. This was just kind of a summary of what's going on. Is that they were proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is a vital component, is the vital truth of the message of the gospel. We cannot leave out the resurrection. And we think about Peter's focus on the resurrection. There's six things that we need to think about in his sermon. There's a lot of stuff we could pull out. But today, I want to give you just six significant statements from his sermon that we need to consider. Here's the first one. In in verse 22, he talks about the truth or the fact that Jesus carried out his ministry in public. He carried out his ministry in public. He says specifically, he says, A man, talking about Jesus, a man attested to you. By God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. When when he says this, he, he says attested to you, he's just simply saying that, that this is someone who's the quality of who he is and what he did, his life was shown to you. It was demonstrated to you by God. It was accredited to you by God. Jesus demonstrated his power and his deity in front of you through mighty works, wonders, and signs. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, you might remember that John gives seven specific signs that Jesus did to show his deity, to show that he was indeed God. And and Peter says in here, he's reminding them, he says, listen, in your midst. Christ lived in your midst. He did these signs and wonders and deeds in your midst as you yourselves know. So he's, he's looking at, at these who mocked and laughed and said, oh, they're drunk. These guys are crazy. What's going on? And, and Peter stands up and says, listen, you need to know. That the one we speak of is the one that was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So you can laugh and you can mock all you want to, but if you'll just stop a minute and remember the one that we testify to is the one who walked right in between you in your midst and did everything out in public. It's not some secret. It's not something that we said, hey, this happened and we're coming to tell you. Now, let me remind you that you saw it are you so quick to forget you see Jesus life on earth was no secret it was no legend or fairy tale he ministered in public he lived in public he taught in public he interacted with those who loved him he also interacted with those who hated him He dined with those who encouraged him and laughed with him. He dined with those who tried to trap him. He stood and looked across the sea with those who stood shoulder to shoulder with him and loved his teaching, received his teaching. But in moments like John 8, he stands toe to toe, going head on with those who hate him and those who would ultimately kill him and have him crucified. Jesus' ministry was public. It was public. And there's evidence for that. Was Jesus a true historical man? Yes, he was. We have have Christian sources, obviously. Obviously, you would look to the New Testament. You would see the testimony of book after book after book in the New Testament of Christ's life. The testimony of nine different human authors led by the Holy Spirit that testify to the Lord living genuinely living not symbolically living he's not a myth he's not a legend he's not a fairy tale but you add to this non-christian sources which are many 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 but two of the most reliable two of the most respected are a a roman historian historian tacitus a jewish historian josephus both making reference to christ with the evidence of archaeology that affirms the things of Scripture that that we read the New Testament, the things that we we, we read of and we see in there, just things that are just casually mentioned are unearthed day after day after day. And truly, what is here? And so archaeology supports the Bible that is true and accurate. Jesus was indeed a historical figure. Anyone who is intellectually honest is going to concede that. Even the staunchest of opponents is consider a man like Bart Ehrman who is perhaps the leading opponent to Christianity in our day, the leading critic, atheist. Even he says it would be crazy to doubt the existence of a historical Jesus. The reason this is important, the reason that we see what, what Peter says here in his sermon and we see and we want to point out that, that Jesus' ministry is in the public is because we need to see the distinction between Christianity and other religions. That Other religions kind of begin with perhaps this private dream about God or this private idea about God or this private angelic encounter That tells them more about God. And then they go out of this private encounter, this private experience, this private revelation. They come and go, hey, let me tell you about what I learned. You see, Christianity is different. Because we read here, this is what Peter is saying, that Jesus carried out his ministry in public. He was killed in public. And he rose from the grave and appeared to the public, to 500 people or more at various times, and it is the public who goes out and witnesses of Christ. Christ's life, his ministry, was carried out in public. And they were witnesses to this. The second point that Peter makes in verse 23 is that Jesus' death was part of God the Father's plan. Jesus' death was part of God the Father's plan. Verse 23, it says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was not a victim of circumstance. He he was not a helpless pawn in the chess game of life. He was not a leader with great plans that just fizzled and didn't really work out the way he intended. No, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Christ came with a mission to accomplish, a plan to complete, a divine purpose. He came with a mission. Isaiah 53, I just want to read a couple of passages to you. Isaiah 53, the, the passage of the suffering servant. We know that well, that we are, uh, um, he died for our transgressions, right? By his stripes we are healed. And you have all these verses. Well, you get to the end of the chapter and listen to what it says. It was the will of the Lord to crush him he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days the will of the lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by the knowledge or by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities it was the will of the lord to crush him it was in god's will that his hand would prosper. It was God's plan that he would suffer and die for you and die for me. In 1 Peter 1 verse 18 we read this. We read that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Like a lamb without blemish or spot. And Peter says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God Planned from eternity past to set his mercy and love upon sinners by the sacrifice and blood of Christ. He's got plan. Mark 10 33 34. Jesus knew the plan. This is where we began our time Friday night. Jesus knew the plan. They're walking down the street, they're walking to Jerusalem prior to the triumphal entry. And as they walk, Jesus says, Listen, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You want to know a quick summary of the difference between me and Jesus saying this? You know what I said up till 5 o'clock yesterday? I said... Man, that Baylor and Houston game is going to be one of the closest, best games we're going to see in a while. And Gonzaga is going to smoke UCLA. Did you watch the games last night? Baylor smoked Houston, and Gonzaga and UCLA was perhaps one of the best Final Four games that we've seen in a long time. I made a pretty definitive statement all day yesterday, and I was wrong. Jesus makes this statement. He says, listen, uh, I'm going to be delivered over the chief priests and scribes. Yep, check that one off. They will condemn me to death and deliver me over to the Gentiles. Check, happen, I will be mocked. Check, I will spit on. Check, I will be killed. Check, after three days I will rise. Check that box too. He knew the plan. He knew the plan. He was no victim of circumstance. When Christ came and died and arose, it was the plan of God carried out just as he intended. He said the same thing a few verses later in Mark 10, 45. He said, listen, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ knew what he was doing. He knew what the plan was. And we need to know today that Jesus came and died because of a divine initiative to save sinners. A divine initiative that demonstrated God's love in Jesus' death on the cross. It demonstrated God's power in raising him from the grave. And it displayed God's salvation to all who trust in Christ through faith alone. The plan was to save those who could not save themselves. And that is the same plan that is here today. That is the good news that God came with a divine initiative, a divine mission to accomplish, to save sinners that could not save themselves. And that plan was accomplished on the cross and in the grave, as Jesus rolled back that stone. The third point that Peter makes, verse 24, God had raised Christ from the dead. Did Jesus really raise from the grave? Yes, Jesus really rose from the dead. Verse 24, Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He was freed from the agony and the pain of death, not because it just overtook him and he didn't have to deal with it anymore. No, but because God raised him up and he broke the chains. Every one of the songs, every one that we sang spoke of the inability of death. Every one of them. Death was arrested. It was stopped. It was, it was confined. Death in vain tried to hold our Lord. It could not bar him. It could not contain him because it was impossible for Christ to be held by death. That's what it says. I love that verse. God raised him up, loosened the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It wasn't possible. It simply couldn't be done. Death was too weak. Too weak, why? Why was it too weak? Because death is tangling with, wrestling with the life. The life. John 1, through 4-5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It cannot overcome it. Just as darkness cannot overcome light, death cannot overcome Jesus, who is the life, the author of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. Today we celebrate the absolute power and ability of our risen Lord and thus the inability of death to rule over him. We are reminded today that the one who created all things out of nothing could not be contained by death. We are reminded today that death the result of sin was, a- was unable to bind the one who paid for sin in full by his blood. We are reminded that the one who gave his life or, or sorry gave life and breath to all men was indeed able to fill his own lungs with breath when he wanted to. Oh, the glory and the splendor of the moment when Christ's heart took another beat and blood rushed through his veins, his lungs filled back with air, his eyes opened anew in the victory over death. What an incredible moment that is. What an incredible thought. Have you ever just stopped? And just thought about that. Just ponder on that. That there was a moment that the lifeless, dead body of Christ lay there and his heart starts to beat again. And his lungs fill back with air. Up from the grave he arose. The mighty victory over his foe. Oh, what a, what a glorious Truth that is. And we celebrate that today. The fourth point that Peter makes is that Peter and the disciples were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. They were eyewitnesses. This is this is an important point. He just makes in verse 32. He says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. It comes back to where we started. That, that Christ's ministry is not this kind of private, secret thing, this legend, this myth, but it is something that happened with witnesses. There were witnesses to his resurrection. The, the lives of the disciples, just think, we have probably heard this before, but we have to consider the lives of the disciples radically change. They, they radically are transformed after the resurrection. I mean, Peter, we, we said that at the beginning. We, we think about who's speaking the sermon. Can you imagine if you never had Acts? Can you imagine this one? If if the last thing you read is is Peter cowering before a little girl, going, No, 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 I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> can you imagine if it stopped there? Somebody said, Hey, listen. At, uh, in, in later on, uh, this same guy would stand up before people who are taunting and mocking him. He would later stand before men who are going to beat him and throw him in prison, and he's going to boldly proclaim. That the one he denied is risen and living, he would die for that? He'd be crucified upside down? Would you go, oh yeah, I, get it. I totally see it. Yep, totally see it. No, you wouldn't. But their lives radically change. It gives testimony to the reality of the resurrection. Now I think it's interesting that, that people would doubt this. We, we read... We read of this radical change, and, and I would have to ask, would you be so bold as to discount that radical change? Would you be so bold to, to discount it and say, ah, oh, it's no big deal. It, it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, Scripture even gives account to testimony of the fact that Jesus appears to the disciples and then later to over 500 other people. And the contemporaries of when Scripture is written, they do not confront this. They don't dispute it. Would you be so bold today as to dispute that and to say, no, I don't think so? Even though those around the time did not dispute it, they moved on to other things that they might dispute or have a problem with, but when it said, you're eyewitnesses, you saw this, we're eyewitnesses, it happened in our midst, they didn't go, no, 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 we didn't see it. Would you now, 2,000 years removed, go, oh, I know better? Really? Scripture and history testify to the reality that the disciples gave their lives, they gave their lives for Christ. Would you be so bold as to say, well, they just died for a lie? Really? Would you die for a lie? <laughs> would, would you do that? Would you lay it all down for a lie? Would you leave your family and friends, look at an executioner, and proceed? No. If I was living a lie and that came encounter with me, I would speak the truth. Would you be so bold as to say they just died for a lie? Scripture says that he appeared to over 500 people. Would you be so bold as to say, well, they were hallucinating? Really? Would you be so bold as to say that? When we know that hallucinations do not happen in mass, we're not going to all have the same hallucination this morning and and share it and go, oh, wow, we had the same hallucination. It was amazing. Todd was wearing a Kentucky blue sports coat. I'm not really. It's pink. You guys are just hallucinating right now. You know that's utterly ridiculous. We don't have shared hallucinations. But would you be so bold as to say that they did? (laughs) That's what's happening. They were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. And their testimony speaks powerfully. The fifth point that Peter makes is in verse 36. That Jesus is Lord In Christ, verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says, listen, I want you to know for certain that he has been made Lord. It is the divine name, Yahweh, the name above all names, the supreme name. The name that Paul wrote in Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. The name above all names has been given to Christ. Why? Because verse thirty-two, thirty-three. he was risen. He was risen. He was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He reigns. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Savior. There is no other who has defeated death. All other religions, all other leaders and founders remain in the grave. But you cannot go and travel and see the grave of Christ. It's empty. You cannot exhume his corpse. It's not going to happen. You cannot present the bones of Christ and study the bones of Christ. Why? Because he is risen. He is Lord. He is Savior. And so that presents me with a question when I go, what are you trusting or who are you trusting when you breathe your last? Are you trusting someone who is dead? Are you counting on someone who could not defeat death? Or are you trusting in the one who, when he took his final breath, he once again inhaled a breath in the tomb? Are you trusting the one who who died to defeat death? I trust him. I trust the God who reigns in power. I trust the one who has saved me to a living hope because he is the life and he is alive and reigning supreme. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Who are you putting your hope in? You need to know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus who was crucified. Lord in Christ, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior. Are you trusting him? Who are you trusting? Peter's final point, verse 37 and 39. The resurrection demands a response. The the resurrection of Christ demands a response. You see, in, in verse 37, it says that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It pierced them, it resonated within, and stirred them deep within. It made an impact on them. And so they asked a question, a very adequate question. What shall we do? What what are we to do with this? And Peter doesn't say, oh, it's no big deal. I just wanted to make sure you knew we weren't drunk. No. No. They ask an adequate question. And Peter gives them a beautiful answer. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, they ask a a very appropriate question. Because they realized In the face of the resurrection, the claim that Christ rose from the grave, that they might reject it, they certainly could concede to it, they can't be indifferent to it. It would be absolutely ridiculous to just sit here this morning and be indifferent to the claim that Christ rose from the grave. That is a bold, bold claim. And if you've never considered how bold that claim is, how shocking that is to say that this man died, but he did not stay dead, then you need to reconsider it. You need to step back and say, I need to get rid of all this religious stuff in my life. And I need to really consider the claim that Christ has risen from the grave, because that claim, the resurrection, the reality of Christ's resurrection, demands a response, a response to either repent of your sins and trust him or to reject him and deny the evidence. You'd have to deny the evidence. It was man time and time and time again says, I want to investigate this. And time and time again, you have men who come in as atheists to investigate it, and they cannot prove it wrong. They can't prove the resurrection wrong. My library is filled with books of men who have tried to do that, who now follow Christ and now write of their evidence. The book on the Great Commission Resource Center is an example of that. The resurrection demands a response. And that response is not to just sit and listen and enjoy a good sermon. I guess that's up to you on whether it's good or not, right? The Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, once observed this. He said, you know, Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons. It's a pretty important observation. It's a pretty important observation. Merely hearing a sermon does not save you. It doesn't save you. Peter, Peter doesn't leave and say, hey, I'm just glad you listened to my sermon today. No, hearing a sermon doesn't save you. How do you respond to the message of that sermon? That is what saves you. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Make a public de- declaration of faith in Christ. It's the same thing that Jesus says in Mark 1.15 when he begins his ministry. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the call today is not just to hear and appreciate a good sermon on Easter morning and let's go have a great meal. No, that's not the call. Liking a sermon, even being stirred by it, even making a sermon that might bring you to tears or make you feel good, that does not save you. That doesn't save you. You can be brought to tears by a movie. You can feel good about a movie. It doesn't matter if you come in and you enjoy a sermon week after week after week or if you're one of those who only come on Christmas and only come on Easter and you feel good about it and you leave. That does not save you. That doesn't save you. You need to know that this morning, that it leaves you just as lost as before. The only thing that saves you is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is vital salvation. It's vital. I mean, Jesus, Judas didn't just hear messages, Judas also took part in ministry. Judas was one of the ones that handed out the bread to the hungry people 5,000 of them. He sees that. Judas is one of the ones that, that went into the towns to tell about Jesus. Judas is one of the ones that probably walked into town and as everybody mourned over Lazarus, he comforted them. He hugged them. He was there for them. He listened to them. But none of that saved him. Doing ministry is not going to save you. Being involved, teaching a Sunday school class, being part of Hands of Grace, none of that is going to save you. None of doing stuff does not cover your sins. Only the blood of Christ can cover your sins. It's only through confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead that you're saved. Being religious doesn't save you either. You can come here every week and it's not going to save you. It doesn't matter. The Pharisees were religious. They knew the scriptures. They were in the temple every time the door opened. But religious deeds and Bible knowledge do not save you. Only repenting and believing in Christ will save you. Maybe you're trusting money. You're here and you're like, man, I've got it easy. I've got a comfortable life. I've got a good job. I'm raking it in. That's not going to save you either. Just ask the rich young ruler. He had plenty of money. He even had this great, compelling experience with Jesus, this great dialogue with Jesus. But none of that saved him. Salvation does not come through money. It does not come through religion. It does not come through ministry. It does not come through being a consumer of good sermons, whether it's here on YouTube or Facebook, wherever it is. go to all the conferences you want. Those sermons don't save you. The power of Christ, the death and blood of Christ on the cross and his power of resurrection, that's what saves. That's what saves. So listen, the appeal is very simple today. It's very simple. It's to turn from your sins and look to Christ, the risen Lord. Turn from your sins and look to Christ. Don't count on your religiosity. Don't count on your ministry. Don't count on how many good sermons you've heard. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. This day is meaningless. It's meaningless if Christ is not risen. That's 1 Corinthians 15. We start our time of worship this morning. That's Paul's argument. Everything we're doing this morning is meaningless if Christ has not risen. But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. So that means that this day, every Sunday that we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord is overflowing with significance. It is spilling over. With meaning. Oh, it's beautifully rich. What difference does the resurrection make? It makes all the difference in the world. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between a gospel that ends on Friday. Where we walk out in silence with little good news as compared to today where we walk in rejoicing, celebrating, proclaiming life in Christ. The resurrection makes all the difference. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. Without the resurrection, it's just another death that we remember. Just like Martin Luther King's, Abraham Lincoln's, George Washington. Whoever your hero is, I don't know who your hero is. It's no different than their deaths. But the resurrection makes it different. Because we celebrate Resurrection Day. We don't come here every Friday to celebrate Death Day. Oh, the death of Christ is meaningful. It's critical. It's important. I'm not minimizing it. But the resurrection is what gives it all that meaning. Solidifies it. I just want to leave you with these words we meditated on. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The question that Jesus asked that day is a question that's the same for us today. Do you believe this? Do you believe? What are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? If Christ is not risen, Everything that we've done here this morning is in vain. It's useless. Your faith is in vain. You getting up early this morning, worthless. The fact is Christ has risen. And in him is life. Do you believe this? If you've never repented, turned from your sins, turned to trust Christ, my appeal would be that you would do that today. That you would come talk to me, whether it's here when we sing in just a moment or out in the foyer. I've got an hour before the next worship. Well, not quite an hour, but close. Plenty of time. And I would love to speak to you about what it looks like to follow Christ, to trust Christ, to know that He is the resurrection of life, and to live in the living hope that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we give you all praise and all glory this morning for your power and your might. Lord Jesus, we worship you, our risen Savior. We believe. God, most of us in here today would stand before you with great joy and say, we believe, thank you for saving us unto a living hope that is in your resurrection. Thank you. Oh God, we praise you. And God, I pray that for those of us who trust you and have repented of our sins and, and have been saved by your atoning work on the cross, God, I pray that you would fill us with great joy today in the resurrection of Christ. God, fill us with joy. God, I pray for my friends here who perhaps are caught up in just religion, who are trusting other things or other people or other ideas. God, I pray that you would do a great work of salvation in their life. God, that they would know the promise is the same as it was in Acts 2 as it is today. That, God, they would look to you and they would trust you. and that You would save them. Now you have promised that you save all who call on the name of the Lord. So God, I pray that you would work in their lives. This resurrection day. This glorious, glorious resurrection day. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our risen Savior. Amen.